0: Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. In this book of Exodus, we've said before that it has to do with, if it can be described in one word, redemption. And what that redemption means and how it plays out not only in the national life of these people that have been brought out of slavery, but also the working out of that redemption in their day-to-day lives, in their choices and behavior every single moment. And so it is with our lives that the redemption that was purchased by the blood of the Holy Lamb of God is meant to work and permeate and influence every single action and thought, word, behavior, purpose in our lives. Anything short of that is not the salvation God has given us according to the scriptures, and the scriptures cannot be broken that redemption is supposed to change a person's behavior from the inside out so that we are examples, true cities on the hill that cannot be hid. People see the radiance of Christ not by niceties and formalities and expressions coming from deceptive hearts that have closets full of private sin but have a public exterior that seems to be Christian quote unquote the Lord said the inside of the cup must be clean and the outside will be clean also our focus is that redemption will work through and through in our lives Genesis had to do with man trying different things to reach heaven and then God coming to reach man and finding someone in the person of Abram who is willing to be quiet and listen and follow. God's greatness came upon that man for all eternity. He found a man in Exodus who one time was very talkative perhaps in trying to do the right thing and bring justice for the people, but he himself was under training, and he submitted himself to 40 years of training, in addition to the first 40 years in Egypt. But this time, like the Apostle Paul in Arabia, Moses was schooled by God, and there was a transformation in his life where he can become usable in the kingdom of God. To do what? Bring and explain and epitomize the redemptive power of God in the human being's life. The people not only saw a leader that could point them to the law and bring the law, but one who obeyed the law by the grace of God. And we see here in Exodus 24, God coming down to meet Moses again and this time. Along with the high priest Aaron and his sons. Nadab and Abihu, 70 elders of Israel. God saw and scanned the hearts of people. Not unlike what he did in the time of the apostles when people were selling property and they came and put it at the apostles feet the some of it to do what? to build the kingdom among them Barnabas and so thrilled that God would call me to use what he put in my hands to give back to build the kingdom of God and among them came that husband and wife team who wanted part of that and they wanted that glory and that appreciation and So many motives that are sinister, but they thought it was all covered up very well. And they said, here, Peter. The Apostle Peter and everyone, look, we sold a piece of property and here's the money for it. Yeah, we we sold it and here's all the money. Well, God scanned the hearts and he revealed it to Peter. And they died, not unlike Nadab and Abihu, as we'll read going forward they thought they can come and offer something the way they like to offer it the result was in both cases death removal from the presence of God oh he's a holy God we don't see any change of the God of Exodus from the God of the book of Acts or the Revelation And God was scanning and he chose 70 elders who were privileged to see the God of Israel. How awesome. So God has many things for each of us. And he gives us an amount of time, a certain amount of time to thoroughly repent and stop being the old us. There's the potential for that old flesh person to creep up and little by little take over the spiritual life. And only we can stop it by the grace of God. We're given responsibility to put to death everything that has to do with the flesh. Otherwise, it'll put us to death. Exodus 24. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Who can be an elder in the church? Someone said, well, there's no office of an elder, but there's qualifications. There are qualifications. Who can be a deacon? What is a deacon anyway? Is it something that a TV show puts out? Some religious commentary or some church politics and philosophy? Whoever said, well, in my church, we do it this way. In my church, the pastor says this, and what does God say? And this is why many churches, the spirit of God is not working. There are counterfeit things happening and people love it. Keeping up teachers to suit what? The itching ears. Tremendous respect afforded to so-called super apostles and leaders. As the apostle Paul says in the book of Corinthians. He said those people slapped you in the face. They struck you. They made use of you. They manipulated you. And you wanted to be manipulated. And you exalted them. But he said, me? I'm telling you the truth. And he despised this. Oh, it's a lot of spiritual rain coming. We're used to it by now. Blessing after blessing. and you uh, need to have the fear of God. The qualifications were divinely given. It's God who appoints, it's the Spirit of God who speaks to those who are genuinely following Him and called to be leaders. And the Spirit of God who would say at this time, tap this one for service. Oh, when the Holy Spirit leads a church, it's far more than just some organic unification of individuals with a common agenda and a board. It's the ministry of life, working through people who have met the minimum qualifications of humility, selflessness, a heart that's thrilled to do the will of God and see his name exalted. People give up their sinful lives and hypocrisy and be a pure church before the Lord. These 70 elders were not just randomly called upon because they were close to Moses and they were part of the physical family of Moses or one had a great uh, portfolio as an investment banker somewhere. Another one was a Hollywood star and wow, we can use all this to draw a crowd and more people and let's have a great circus in the middle of the city and all for Christ a motley crew, of sorts. To assemble a crew together. To do some service for God and have fun. Isn't this what happens? If we open our eyes, we'll see. It's what happens in most places. We should have grief. It's not a matter of saying, "Well, we're pointing fingers all the time and looking at him and that church." And it's God who exposes. The wolves in sheep's clothing and the sheep getting drugged and many goats in the sheepfold also. And everything seems to be okay. Don't judge, okay? Just preach love and peace and God loves you and do the right thing. And community is great. And I love the fellowship. And look, my church has an app and we can connect and network. God says, get away from my altar. I'm after holiness. Because I'm a holy God. That's the first thing. These people, no doubt, were selected. God investing in their lives with the truth. An intimacy that the rest of the people didn't have because they were called to a higher privilege and responsibility. And not everybody remained. They were promptly, decisively removed, not only from the office, but from life, who presumed upon the grace of God and thought, they can pull one over on God. Oh, my. You think, how could someone ever dare to do that after seeing the fire and the lightning and hearing the voice of God and the massive exodus in the Red Sea open up and the entire Egyptian army that pursued them All that pursued them were put to shame, destroyed, in front of their eyes. Everything in their lives changed when God stepped in. There was a supernatural work of God. It wasn't their own piety, religiosity, and their own efforts. But they were called to believe and follow And as long as they did that, they continued to witness God's provision as a responsible father. These people were chosen, 70 of them. He said, 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. God is doing something. Whenever he calls us, he wants to do something for us. If we despise that, like the rich young ruler, sorry, I can't go that far, God we forfeit everlasting life. God says, even though I'm calling 70 of the elders with the high priest and his sons, two of his sons, Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. There's a rising up of people, as we will read Many times it was the entire congregation. Can you imagine that? What got into them? Despising Moses and coming against him, bad-mouthing everything God's doing through Moses and saying, who is this Moses? We don't need him. Thinks he's a big shot. Well, the devils came right into them and spoke those words. Not unlike... The Pharisees and Sadducees. Who is this man Jesus? Where did he come from again? 30 something years old. What does he know? So he's got some miracle working power. So what? we part of the Sanhedrin here. Oh, We're teaching the law. When he was just growing up. It's the spirit of the devil that comes in take away life that is ready to be poured out and offered and granted. These people were called to come near God. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. Let God be God. Let him call who he will. Let's rejoice in everything God does and be humbled that we have a part in it at all. Glory be to God. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. So far, so good. It seems like they're coming under what God has instituted, the leadership. Things are going well right here. And they said, the words that you brought Moses from God, we're not here to contend with it. We're not here to pick it apart and see what we like and what we don't. Oh, he said it that way. Now they knew this is from God. He brought all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice. And said, all the words which the Lord has said. They didn't say it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It warms my heart. They said, we'll do it. That's what God is interested in. He's not interested in flattery. Are you going to do it or not? That's all. Are you going to receive it? How are you going to receive the word of God? And how are you going to follow through? Because if you receive it and you don't follow through, it's actually worse than having never received it. You should have given it to someone else. And that's what God ended up doing. These people that were privileged, they rejected the Messiah. And God said to Paul, take that message To the Gentiles. Here they said. We'll do it. And Moses wrote. All the words of the Lord. And he rose up. Or rose early in the morning. Someone says. I'm not a morning person. I'll come to the other meeting. Or, I'm just not a morning person. It's almost laughable. To hear the excuses. That can come up. And how self-confident and arrogant and proud a human being can be. It's all about me. And that's why I can say, when it comes to the things of God, I'm not a morning person. I guarantee you, if there's war breaking out in the street, you have to stay awake all night to protect yourself and your family, many people all of a sudden will become morning persons. And if the President of the United States, whoever he is, at whatever time a person may live in this country, concerning that office and the privilege afforded as a citizen to be called by the top leader of the nation for some service... in the center of the nation. The prospect of being well-known and being associated with the most powerful office in the land, the only problem is the President of the United States calls or maybe the man of the year or some big celebrity and personality. You get to take pictures with me. You get to work for me. You get to have that association that so many people would love to get. And All of a sudden you're tapped to do this. And they say the only thing is you have to get up early. How many people would say, "I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. President. I'm sorry. I'm not a morning person. people of God because of the fear of the Lord whatever God calls them to do once once they understand this is God speaking and he's calling me like blind Bartimaeus they throw, throw off what they're used to and say we're making a change by the grace of God because he's calling me up higher Moses had no problem rising up early in the morning Often you see that emphasized Abram or Abraham got up early in the morning to obey the Lord. The Lord Jesus, early in the morning, he was praying. Or if someone works the night shift, whatever time it is, it's a matter of discipline to seek God with everything we've got. And the marvelous thing is, when we're taught the supernatural word of God, In a place like here, in other places around the country and the world where people really fear God. We get charged because we know God will come and empower us. We see a supernatural change so we can go up higher. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And we talk about mourning and being mourning people. God understands when there's illness and other things happening. When someone's awake all night perhaps. There are afflictions all kinds of things. God understands God never asks us to do something we cannot do. Therefore, He knows when there are excuses given, when we just don't want to do it. That's what He's after. change changes from that self-rule and arrogance. God says something to say opposite. Then He sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings. We're in Exodus, we're in Exodus 24, verse 5. And sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood from these offerings and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Can you imagine in your hands blood of animals? You're literally sprinkling not oil or water, but blood. What was the significance of that? He was sanctifying the altar. It's pointing to the blood of Jesus Christ that would sanctify the altar of our hearts from where praises go up, sacrifices of thanksgiving. It has to be clean. We see that picture very clearly here in Exodus. If it's not touched by the blood God doesn't want it. In our case, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which sanctifies us. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins. And half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant He also sprinkled the book, as you see revealed in Hebrews. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. They're starting to get it. At least here. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. Can you imagine standing there? The man of God sprinkles the blood of the sacrificial offerings on the altar, on the book of the covenant. Someone says, well, where is that exactly, Pastor? I don't see anything about the book over here. We only need to go to Hebrews. Let's go there right now, just to get a reference here to the situation from the New Covenant, Hebrews chapter nine, verse sixteen. Hebrews nine sixteen. Someone please read from sixteen to twenty two.
1: Praise the Lord, Pastor. Praise the Lord.
0: Uh, Hebrews chapter nine
1: sixteen for where there is strict testament there must also of necessity be the death of the tester for a testament is enforced at uh, after men are dead since it has no power at all while the tested live live therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood for when moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats, with water, scarlet bull, and hyssop, and sprinkled both of the book, itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels, of the ministry and according to the law almost all things are purified with blood and without shedding of the blood there is no remission. Praise God.
0: Praise God so we see that these things needed to be done, the sprinkling even on the book has to be purged, purified, sanctified And the people saw this. They saw the ways of God. They're learning. This is the way God wants us to approach Him. People need to be taught how to approach God. Use a friendly approach with uh, casualness is dangerous for the spiritual life. To cater to the generation that will seek entertainment and come with a mixture of worldly entertainment and worship and so many things happen on the one hand because people are not taught to fear God and how to approach Him. How to worship? With what kind of heart are you supposed to come? You're supposed to come with clean hands and a clean heart, pure heart. And if you don't have it, you have to get it before you come to worship. How many people are taught in the churches? Or is it just put it on the projector and have some people there with a the guitar and keyboard and drums and as I mentioned yesterday some dronish kind of music to repeat that kind of hypnotic so-called worship and people are full of sin but it looks right it feels right the only problem is God is not there and people have to be taught on the other hand there are people who even if they're taught they insist undoing it their way and that becomes very dangerous also if I value the blood of the offerings here and what it signifies everything begins to make sense God is trying to take sin away and when we value the Lamb of God as believers we understand how expensive it was the blood of the Son of God had to be shed to wash me. Make that new way that I can approach God. To the point where what? He sprinkled not just these items and even the furniture of the tabernacle as we see later, but our hearts and everything connected to us when we come to God. And that's the way to approach God. We have to be purified. We have to understand and have that deep reverence, not take it cheap or for granted. What would happen if you had that treasure of a diamond ring that was so expensive? What would you think about people who just toss it into the pile? Pile of, you know, the fake jewelry and the watches, diamond dozen, so to speak. And with the toys and the books and the clothing, you just throw it over there. You come home and take that diamond ring, maybe worth several hundred dollars or several thousand dollars or more. Just toss it over there. Even people who don't have God, they'll say, how foolish. Don't you know the worth of that? And there's a certain quote-unquote reverence afforded to that little piece of jewelry that we know is so expensive. We treat it with care and respect because we'd like to have the usefulness of that both for now and for later. When we understand the value of the blood of Christ, we can't talk casually about it or act like that whether we're in church or anywhere. We're in awe. And the effect of that is, like the people here, at least temporarily for them, All that the Lord says will do. That's the effect, the true effect of the blood of Jesus truly purging someone's conscience. True regeneration by the Holy Spirit. The result is an obedient heart. Faith results in obedience. I believe and I receive. So where's the obedience? If it's found, then you have a genuine faith. Then Moses went up, and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. I was amazed when I read this, I think as a teenager. I kept reading it over and over again. What does it mean they saw the God of Israel? It means they saw the God of Israel. They saw God. What a privilege. They were specifically chosen. Imagine if they bailed out and made excuse: I'm not a morning person. I'm not this person. I love the office, pastor. And I love this task. But it's just too much. You know, they would have missed out. They saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet. Look at the description God has recorded way back in Exodus. Not just when Jesus came in human form as the God-man. In a true humanity. Not just the description of the resurrected Christ and the Christ in the book of Revelation. back here as in Ezekiel as in Isaiah see all these glimpses of God and even in Exodus when Moses sees the back parts of God glory as he's passing by here they all saw the God of Israel the select group of people, all of them. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. So it's not just random, purposefully, God showed them these things. They saw under the God of Israel. Can you imagine how wide their eyes would have been open? Maybe mouths open. Oh my God, look, the God of Israel. They saw a portion of that glory, a glimpse, just a glimpse. They would have died if they saw his face, or any more. God gave them just what they can handle, for a purpose that they never forgot. And so the genuine encounter with Christ will make a person tremble. Not with fear of someone who's going to hell, but a holy fear of and awe oh, that leads to action. Oh, I surrender all to this Christ. He's a real God. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. In another version it says it was the surface was under his feet as brilliant blue lapis lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. We're allowed to and called to. Think about these things, not just gloss over and say, well, it's a nice picture God's painting. No, we're given that imagination that even though we're not there, there's no recording of this in video. The Holy Spirit will form the images that we need to have to understand what's happening. So that what happened to them, that impression can also come to us for our own good. Under his feet, there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue. As clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, He did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in His presence. And there's an exclamation mark here in the New Living Translation. It's amazing. So they saw God and it's repeated there as in verse 10. And they ate and drank. God draws us near so we can have a more intimate fellowship. It's a deep awe and reverence. Then the Lord said to Moses come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone and the law." and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Moses was able to trust Aaron and her to take care of matters in his absence. Because God was able to trust Aaron and her at this point. Not everyone who is entrusted with a responsibility and privilege from God proves themselves worthy of it. Often the contrary happens you see the tragedy of it in people like Gehazi. Something enters in. There's a transformation. What started out good becomes sour and dangerous. There's no self-check. What's going on with me? Why did I think this? Or Why am I getting this kind of attitude? Oh, i got to shake this off. Lord, help me. I can't afford to think like this. I'm not going to let the devil in. Because the devil will try, especially with those who are called to be closer with God and called up higher and given divinely appointed responsibilities to prove themselves worthy by having the right heart we see how miserably Aaron failed if any man has a difficulty let him go to them there's, an, there's a trust there then Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain and Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights six days with the cloud covered seventh day the Lord calls Moses out of the midst of the cloud there's a preparation and a perfection in the approach there's a completion of a certain amount of time You can't rush into God's presence or even into His service. That's what seems to be the way people operate in many places. There's a motivational talk, not unlike in a ballpark by the coaches. Okay, let's do it did we consider coming to the Lord and asking Him first? Yes. How long? Five minutes? The people fasted and prayed when they sent out Paul and his helpers. They waited on the Lord even when they chose the one that was to replace Judas who fell by transgression. Moses was careful to follow everything God said. The seventh day he calls him out of the midst of the cloud and again this consuming fire as you saw on top of the mountain. They had to know it's dangerous to presume upon God's grace and to presume to know what his will is and just go ahead and do it. God hasn't changed. If we can remember that point the way they were terrified here that the fear of God may be upon them so they don't get destroyed. But get to go closer to God, step by step. As He prepares them, you see? There's a preparation. We would do well to take heed, to have that same attitude. God is preparing Him. Let me be patient and wait on Him. Eagerly expectant, Yes. But patiently waiting for his every commandment. What a thrill. Step by step. There's a preparation required. The sight of the glory of the Lord was a, was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. God found someone willing in Moses he found someone willing in the apostle Paul he found someone willing in Joshua their entire lives revolved around not just an official office and a profession they loved God they wanted to be in his presence all the time and they knew that they need to come to him the way he requires and we see that even the 70 elders and Aaron and his two sons along with Moses when they saw the glimpse of the glory they sat down and ate and drank in his presence. Picture of that fellowship. The Lord said I will drink this wine or this grape juice no more. I won't partake anymore until I drink it new. The kingdom of heaven. There's a fellowship and a banquet. How many of us are thrilled when we have a family reunion or some celebration? Food is a big part of it. God provides the food, it's part of that. But there's a significance, there's a fellowship. They're supposed to be the foundation, not just consumption of some physical delicacies. Because after all, who would like to have a celebration where everybody is going off in a corner with their food and little bag, lunch bags? There's a fellowship and God is revealing, as much as we see the thunderings, lightnings, earthquakes, the fire, the awesome nature of God, great compassion and love of God for His people, seeking to do what? Tabernacle with them. Abide with them. To house them. To embrace them. This is our great and awesome God. Miracle working, wonder working God. May the Lord help us to get a better understanding of him as we continue the book of Exodus. And again and again remember, he is the same Jesus yesterday, today and forever. As we submit to his guidance, his commandments... We get to know him more and more, he'll begin to speak to us more and more, that the confidence in him will grow, where we come to a point where nothing on earth or from hell beneath or even any angel that's become a demon by falling with Lucifer can persuade us to lose focus. On the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world for our sins. That love will be so strong that God can trust us to follow every commandment. Never find fault with Him. Never badmouth Him. Murmur or complain. But become one with Him to know exactly how faithful He is. To be transformed and end up with Him in glory forever. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Oh, may Your awe be in us, Lord. Not only Your great majesty, but Your magnanimous heart. That the fear of God would open our eyes to the true love of God. That we would be people who grow in real maturity as you define maturity. Which means greater humility and inclination to hear carefully and not be so interested as to speak but to hear what you have to say and implement and do what you say. Maturity that shows that we don't care about anything for anyone as much as we care about you and your word to love you and not to come to you Lord as a means to an end but to see that you are the end you are the goal our satisfaction is in you O oh father in that relationship maturity that's defined as selflessness Not just to say I'm available, but to be usable because of being sprinkled truly with the blood. And keeping a clear conscience and hands that are undefiled. Lord, you take a person that is totally defiled and you completely clean that person up, Lord. And someone said... Recently, as the message of salvation was being given to them. In the middle of the night, the question came up that sincere question as I overheard it Will He forgive me? He will forgive me of all my sins? They're so overwhelmed with the answer yes. You mean every bad thing I've done? This was the question I heard. Just a couple of nights ago, early in the morning. Will He forgive me? He'll forgive me of everything I've done. And Lord, He brought salvation to the individual, the great joy. So we are made clean who were once dirty. We were far away from you, alienated from you. But we're called to stay clean. To the fear of God and separate ourselves from everything that would defile to be consecrated to you and then hang on to your word persevere doing the right thing before God by God so you can call us to come up higher and see the God of Israel and live with you, thank you Lord thank you Lord, hallelujah thank you Lord, thank you Lord may your miracles abound for your children today in Jesus precious name we thank you Father, Amen